God's grace, God's mercy, and God's peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The base of our meditation day is centered around the verse just before our epistle lesson today. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How do you describe the new life God has given to us in the victory of our Savior to a world that is broken and is seemingly oblivious to the fact that it is broken and that there are things very deeply wrong within it? How do you describe the new life in Christ within that context? Paul is trying to describe in our (coughs) epistle Describe to his listeners the great blessing the power of Christ is to transform the church, the gathering of his people, into a healthy and vibrant blessing, not just for them who are part of it, but as a leaven to the world around it, to change the world to a better place. To do this, he uses a metaphor a very familiar metaphor, sort of a parable, focusing on the one relationship where people can see how things can really be good, personally. A successful and loving marriage between a man and a woman. Unfortunately for Paul, it is also the relationship that can be broken very easily by the power of sin and lead many to wonder, what in the world is this idiot talking about? because they don't understand what love is. As a young pastor, our epistle lesson provided an opportunity and also a problem for me as I tried to explore its meaning with some young women in my youth group. This was the 1970s when the women's movement was just gaining speed. And as soon as you would get up and say, for example, in front of a group of women, Wives, submit to your husbands. That was all they ever heard. And their hackles would go up. And I remember some of the young girls in my youth group said, I don't know, Pastor. I really don't know uh, what's this all about. And I said, well, let's look at it. And the good thing was it was an opportunity. Deb might reflect back to those days. It was an opportunity to look at the scriptures, look at this whole of chapter 5 of Ephesians, and start to understand that Paul is using a metaphor to describe something very, very good. For it is in this chapter 5 that begins, be imitators of Christ. As dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, that's one of the problems that I have with the people who sometimes choose the lessons. And this is one of the unfortunate ones. They, we have these beautiful lessons from last week, and there's a break. And we don't connect the two very easily. That's why I backed up a bit and had to read it. Because it is the context of this that Paul starts talking and using a metaphor about What is the church? And what does it mean to be transformed by the power of Christ? 
Now, within my youth group, we made some progress. We spent some wonderful times, not just when I was a vicar, but also in my first parish. And it was great to see us understand what Paul is talking about, not only raising the image of marriage, but helping us to understand the nature of love that is part of the church. But what about the world? How do we explain this to the world, especially this world, this confusing world in which we live right now? Our other lessons today show us both the need and the challenge we face as we look around at the world, and not only in the world, but also in those among those who call themselves spiritual people. Now, Isaiah points out the superficiality of what people called faith at their time. Faith was a handy thing to identify themselves and to enable them to feel a bit superior over everyone else around them. He calls out the whole nation of Israel for disregarding the great things God has done for them, even as he promises to continue doing so. It was a faith that they prided themselves in, yet it was an empty faith. They lived largely in unbelief, just as many do today. And might say, you might say they were religious. Many today say they are religious, but what does that mean? When the going gets tough, you find that all of a sudden they start falling around because they thought they were religious, but they, there's nothing to it, no substance, no strength, no power. And we've seen that so abundantly over the last year and a half during COVID. They called themselves the nation of Israel, but denied the God of Abraham, denied even that he existed, often quite probably admitting that they were so advanced that now they could use other gods. They were progressive in this choice of beings they wished to worship. Now, in their good times, they thought that they were beyond the need to open their hearts to God. But Isaiah explains it well. I love this phrase. You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as clay that the thing made shall say of its maker, he did not make me? Paul points out, as Isaiah points out, that the people have got it upside down. They are not God. God made them. They don't make God. And we still struggle with that temptation in our world today. We discover, again, it sounds familiar today, doesn't it? Have we exalted science to the level of a religion, of a spiritual dependency? And yet here is a tool to discover the wonders of God in creation and a means to serve humanity, yet we almost turn it into a religion that says it is unbendable, it is a law unto itself. God, though, does promise in Isaiah, the poor and the meek, he will not forget. Jesus in our gospel also sees the same problem with this world in its estrangement from God. Here was a group of Pharisees. These are people that thought they were religious. As a matter of fact, they were darn proud of it. They held up and said, we, I am a Pharisee. I am really religious. Let me tell you how religious I am. We've run into that too. 
But Jesus looks at them today and calls out for their hypocrisy. There's something wrong there. There's something lacking in their being. They're lacking in love. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. And then he uses the example that I think is so hideous. He says, you've got this idea of Korban. You're supposed to honor your father and your mother. You see, that's the commandment of God. But we've got these other laws that give us a loophole so that we don't have to give anything to our parents, that we don't have to support them. Boy, that sounds familiar as we have found out clearly that we haven't done all we could for a lot of the seniors in our country over the last months. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In the context of our readings this week and last, we see Paul calling us to see how faith works and how the church is a model of restoration for our community. The word submit, as it is used here, does not imply servitude or slavery or dehumanizing or one lording it over the other because it includes everyone. There are no exceptions here. It means to cease resistance, yielding to power and authority, humility, meekness, obedience. In summarizing the Christian life, Paul is describing our lesson last week, always giving thanks, speaking in faith, being filled with the Spirit, being imitators of Christ, offering ourselves as fragrant sacrifices to the Lord. This is submission being servants of God. But then why submit? Is this another law that we have to do? Are we told that if we don't submit, things will fall down around us? Again, here Paul differs from how we see submission. It's in the motivation. Why do I submit? He sort of seems to imply. Why do I not find submission to Christ abhorrent? He says it's directed first and foremost to Christ. It's humble obedience. It's motivated out of reverence and thanksgiving. Again, a word that is important, reverence. What we are doing when we submit ourselves to Christ is it's out of respect, out of devotion, out of honor, Simply out of thanksgiving that he has saved us from our sin. He has sent a savior. He has made us his children. He has given us the promise of eternal life. And above all, he has loved us and shown us what love is. We love because he first loved us and we love back as a reflection of his victory. And that love impacts every relationship in our lives, including one in particular, which is Paul's metaphor for true understanding of how it works. Remembering this, the metaphor of a good marriage is an example of the relationship of the church to Christ and what it can be and mean to each of us in the world. Paul wants us to see that the church is the bride of Christ and he is the bridegroom. Contrary to our usual thought when we think of weddings, it's not all about the bride. Paul here shows us that it's all about the groom in this particular case. Why submit to Christ, he says, the bridegroom? Because of love, because of honor, because of thankfulness. Submission now comes hard to us. Both genders, no gender is immune, 
And especially when it comes to God, it is necessary for us to realize that the will of God is always good. It's always right. It might not be always agreeable to us, but we have to understand that in faith, we look to him to guide us and direct us. Outside of the relationship of Christ to the church, the, me- the metaphor seems difficult, impossible, even wrong. But Paul is talking about husbands and wives who have faith in Jesus as their Lord, who have been transformed by his love, who have bowed down together before his altar, who have received his true body and blood together, who both as fellow children of God have been baptized and who realize that their partner is also a child of God, redeemed by his grace, a fellow forgiven inheritor of the blessings of Easter, and who daily is forgiven by that same Savior and Lord. It all starts with the invitation to be imitators of Christ, putting aside the days of darkness, as Paul says, living in the newness of life in the Spirit, and submitting to each other as an act of thanksgiving to God. It also is a picture of the church. A picture of the church, a husband and wife kneeling at the altar, as I have just described. Now, all this is great and good, but it is the emphasis on the husband that shows us the real power in this relationship we call the church. We focus on the submission because that's sort of where our weakness is in this relationship. We focus on the submission. (coughs) But Paul talks about Jesus in this relationship, the bridegroom. On one level, the metaphor defines the kind of love that is the super bond of human marriage. It represents the actions of Jesus to claim his wayward bride as his own. And he works, uh, how he works with her to make us worthy worthy to be called his own. Paul reminds us that Jesus gave up himself for the church. He gave himself up for us. He gave himself up, and we are members of what he gave himself up for. He died to forgive our sins. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower us and to forgive us each day and make us holy. This lesson tells us a lot about the attitude of Jesus towards us. He is driven by love to make us better, make us whole, make us his own at any cost to himself. As a Christian, it tells me that you and I, each one of us and all of us together are special because we are defined by the love of Christ. But Paul also adds to the metaphor If we turn it around to talk about Christian marriage, he says, this is true also about marriage, not just about the church. Such is the greatness and opportunity for love Christ gives us. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the bride of Christ in this place, COVID-19 has brought out the best and the worst in us. We've seen it in our world as it's torn apart and people living fearful and denying reality, and we become aware that the world is filled with pain, the pain of ignorance, the pain of frustration, and we see it every day. And we see the great need of our world for that which Paul is talking about, 
in our lesson today. Our world needs the church. It needs you and me to live our lives as a fragrant offering so that they might have an alternative to what is out there. And yet at the same time, we've also seen something else, another metaphor for the love of Christ. In our first responders, I think it's pretty interesting, our first responders have been there busy healing in our hospitals, in our clinics, and how even now, as they faced ridicule in the past from those who denied, how those people who are now suffering from the disease are welcomed. They are not rejected, but loved by those who sometimes they made little of. This is an example of how the love of Christ works. It is there in our world. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As Jesus has loved us, may we love each other. And may that love rub off on the world around us. He is Lord. We are his. We are forgiven. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Hi, Pastor Sai here. I hope this message was encouraging for you. At Riverbend Lutheran Church, our goal is to support Christians in their daily walk with God and in proclaiming the love of Christ to a lost and broken world. We're a small and inviting congregation welcoming any and all who are sinful, hurting, seeking, or simply broken. Whether you're already a Christian and are looking for a church home or you're undecided about your faith and looking for answers, you are welcome here. We have a number of programs for all ages and walks of life. Sunday mornings we have worship followed by educational programs for all ages. Please join us. For more information, you can visit us online at www.riverbendlutheran.com, call us at 780-430-7382, or email me at pastor at riverbendlutheran.com. Better yet, stop in for a visit. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace.